anyone claiming that America's economy is in decline is peddling fiction. I've abandoned free market principles to save the free market system. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Raising the debt ceiling does not increase our debt. It does not somehow promote profligacy. I know words. I have the best words. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. What is up? What is up, everybody? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Peddling Fiction. I'm your host, the voice and soul of so-called fiction, Johnny Profita, and back with me to discuss the banking crisis in the U.S. is Justin Hillbilly Boy Campbell. What's going on, man? Not much. You know, what I've discovered is if you bury all of your cash in coffee cans in the backyard, then none of these banking problems have any effect on you whatsoever you gotta do it you gotta do it true hillbilly style <laughs> that's right yeah uh it might disintegrate or get eaten by like a gopher <laughs> but yeah it's not like the banks are protecting you from inflation at this point i mean none of these it, banks are able to pay anything near the fed funds rate because they're all fucking i mean i think all these banks are insolvent to be perfectly honest and it's just a matter of time before the the tide washes out and we really get to see how bad the damage is but everything uh good on your end no no small community banks over there in hillbilly land going under no we uh actually my son is going to be starting his first job so we went and got him a bank account opened up at our little local bank and nobody seems to have any concerns around here that's the advantage of living out in the middle of nowhere is if you go in the walk in the bank and ask somebody a question about it nobody has any idea what you're talking about it's like okay this is kind of nice yeah well i don't imagine he's going to be over the uh fdic limit of 250k at his first job unless he's uh, unless he's working for silicon valley or wall street or some politician lobbyist i think they're i think they're paying him like 12 bucks an hour to to white butts at a nursing home so that's a good good entry level oh, nice. that, that'll that build a lot of character yeah it builds character trying to train <laughs> every time I, I get old. <laughs> yeah. every time my old man would like at like make me do something that was just like an awful job you know like cleaning the gutters or, or whatever he's just like yeah just do it it builds character <laughs> that's why i am the man i am today <laughs> uh, yeah, everything uh good on my end i got one of my peddling fiction mugs back because i've been packing up all my all my stuff and moving it across the midwest and selling off assets like i'm one of these fucking banks <laughs> like, <laughs> like i'm filing chapter 11 i'm selling off furniture like it's going out of style uh but yeah other than that i was on last night i did run your mouth with robbie the fire and we talked uh, about some of this banking stuff. Uh, always a good time to talk to him. It's uh, it's always interesting too because he he likes to uh, jump around a little bit. He's got that ADD thing going on, so <laughs> it's uh, it's challenging to keep uh, to keep a straight line of thought with him. But uh, always a good time. Love love me some Robbie the Fire. A neurotic 
few. Never would have never would have guessed it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, we had a I think we had a pretty good conversation. Um I so I there was a lot of stuff that I wanted to kind of talk about with him that I didn't really get the opportunity to. So I figured we could uh do an episode on this today. But yeah, check out Run Your Mouth. Uh it was on we did a live show at like nine o'clock last night. So um yeah, should be a good time. And then oh, on Saturday. Yeah, Saturday I did a comedy podcast. A buddy of mine has started a, a comedy podcast out here in Chicago. It's called uh, Leg Day, and so I was on with uh, those three Jamokes. had had a pretty fun, pretty fun time doing that podcast. I I haven't gotten the audio for that. I'll probably put that out one of these days when I'm doing some traveling or whatever. But yeah, that was cool. That was a good time. So I've been busy, been uh, running around, packing stuff up, selling stuff, doing podcasts. And uh, losing an hour of sleep thanks to fucking daylight saving. I thought we were done with that. Apparently not. And the uh, the two things that are always consistent in life are taxes and daylight savings time, I guess. I think if I remember correctly, Mexico's done with it. I don't think they're changing their clocks anymore. I know there are parts of the country that are like near the time zone that just don't they don't change it so like um like if it was here we would be in central time for half the year and then eastern time the rest of the, the other half of the year like we just wouldn't change just wouldn't change time basically uh i would be completely okay with that uh, i don't know how it would work like across the country but whatever i don't care i just don't want to i just don't want to deal with it like it's too much of a for me working night shift Having it still be dark in the morning when I'm like driving sucks. And then having it still be daylight in the evening when I'm trying to get settled into work, it fucks up my routine. Like I don't like walking outside and it still be light out. Uh, I guess everybody else is like the complete opposite. Right. Of yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was always depressing when you, you, I would leave work, leave for work in the morning. It was dark and freezing cold most of the time. And then, yeah, you come home and it's dark and freezing cold again. And you're just like, what the fuck am I doing with my life? Just <laughs> like the same fucking the the hamster on the wheel analogy. Like there's nothing more apropos for that fucking lifestyle. And I am so glad that it is behind me. So, um, well, assuming, yeah, <laughs> we don't have an, an epic banking collapse and a collapse of the total economy in the U.S., should be okay for the foreseeable future but things are looking pretty uh like we're i know i've been saying we we're on the precipice of a collapse for like four fucking years um this seems like we're we're getting towards like the end game that we've been talking about like every austrian economist has been kind of talking about what these low interest rates were going to do to the financial system and the the corner that the federal reserve has been painting themselves into because they're i mean they're completely out of options this was always impossible for them to accomplish this thing where you keep interest rates low for 12 10 12 years at, at basically zero you blow up bubbles all throughout the economy and housing in uh you know real estate um in the stock market in the bond market um everything's just uh, bubblicious and the the second you try to raise rates, I mean, you're just pulling the 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 rug out from this phony economy that you've got propped up, and 
they have two choices. They can continue to try to prop it up and destroy the dollar in the process, or they could save the dollar and the, you know, we just have like a, a really big uh, economic collapse, uh, depression, the likes of which none of us have ever seen. And it's so well, I guess we can back up for anybody that has uh, been living under a rock, I guess, for the past four or five days. The what happened to the catalyst for all this was the Silicon Valley Bank, which is uh, a bank over there in that uh, crazy West Coast area that caters to the um, for the most part tech startups and VC venture capitalist uh, funds and things like that. So they had tons of money in these accounts from all of these uh, startups and and these VC guys. They had, uh, I, I want to say it was like 175 billion or something like that, but it was over a hundred billion dollars in, in deposits. And 95% of those deposits were over the FDIC limit the insured limit of 250k. So these are like big, you know, business accounts with a lot of money in them. And the the tech bubble started to pop last year. I think a lot of people have, have sort of realized that, you know, the stocks were plummeting. Uh they've been laying off, you know, tens of thousands of employees over the last uh 6 months or so. You 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 know, every time you pull up a news on Facebook or something or Meta or whatever, it's like they're they're laying off another couple thousand people. And they've been hemorrhaging money. I mean, these companies have been hemorrhaging money for the you know the last like twenty years. This became like a uh, one of the consequences of zero percent interest rates was like it was really easy for these guys to get funding, and they completely changed the way uh, companies were kind of functioning and should function in like a real free market, where it was never about um, making money. It was never about uh, turning a profit. It was all about just getting um, users and gaining market share enough to the point where somebody would buy you out or you would go public. And in the past, when we had sort of like a normal functioning free market, you would have a, a small company that was profitable and you would go you know, you'd think you'd think through the plan and say, okay, like I'm profitable on a small level. If I, you know, get some funding, I could 10x this and become, you know, much more profitable on a on a global scale or a national scale, and we can expand. And so you would go, you'd have a, a public offering, you'd sell shares of your stock to get funding to expand your profitable business. That's where the IPO, that's how IPOs functioned. And, th and that makes sense. You know, if you have a you know, a restaurant or something and you're doing really well and you want to open up five more restaurants, you get funding for that because you have a profitable business model. What happened over the last uh, 15 years or so is these companies would just have huge cash burns like Uber and Lyft and uh, like the Blue Apron and all these companies that would come uh, come around would be losing hemorrhaging money, hundreds of millions of dollars a quarter. Uh, sometimes billions of dollars a quarter, it, just crazy amounts of money that they're burning through. And it was all was well and good while we were, you know, the Fed was propping up the economy and pumping money into into the stock market and people could borrow on the cheap and buy back their stock. And all they had to do was acquire users for free. And then once you get a, a big enough um, market share or a, enough 
users and everything that even though they're losing, you know, $200 million a quarter, they would go public and, you know, the stock would shoot up and they would get their payday. That's how the VC guys got their money back, right? It was instead of having a profitable business that you expand, you have a business that's hemorrhaging money and the smart money gets in at the, you know, at the smart money IPO price. And then the dumb money comes in and they get their fucking payday and they exit. So they've completely flipped this thing on its head. And this cash burn, I think, was a lot uh, bigger and uh, more prolonged than uh, Silicon Valley Bank was prepared for. And so they've been drawing down on these balances like left and right. And they just they did not have the capital. And the other problem with these these low interest rates, uh, it, it basically forces these banks to uh, lock in really low yielding um, bonds, uh, treasury bonds, low yielding paper, we say, you know, so um, years ago, when interest rates were at like, you know, one, two percent, they bought a bunch of long term treasuries. And they locked in these low interest rates because they were slightly higher than the short term rates. Like they probably got an extra 50 basis points, you know, instead of like one and a half percent, maybe they get two uh, percent, but they have to hold that paper a lot longer. And as the Fed was raising those interest rates, um, probably a lot quicker than these um these idiots at these banks had anticipated, or maybe they thought that they could outlast Powell and Powell would cave before their balance sheet went belly up. But as these interest rates went up and up, the bonds that the that they were holding as essentially, you know, they classify it as cash equivalent uh, because it's supposed to be a very liquid market. You know, there's always demand for treasury bills because it's the U.S. government and we can just print money to pay off all these debts so it's it's considered as good as cash and so but as interest rates go up those bonds that they're holding the value of those goes way down because nobody's going to want to buy a bond that yields two percent when you can buy one uh you know a short-term one that gets you four or five and you only have to hold it for six months and so the the value of their portfolio uh, was tanking and they had all these unrealized losses and they're running out of capital. They're undercapitalized by, according to the, you know, whatever the federal uh, regulation limit was. And they had to raise a bunch of capital to meet the demand for all these companies pulling money out. And so they started selling a lot of these securities and they took a huge loss on them. I mean, they lost like $1.8 billion um, selling these securities and they were going to try to reinvest a lot of those, a lot of that money into some of these higher yielding short term securities to sort of uh you know rebalance their books and when wall street sees them hemorrhaging money on the sale of these securities and that they're undercapitalized that creates a big panic so people start selling the stock and then they have to offer more stock and that dilutes the share and just it's like this fucking thing that feeds off of itself kind of like the bank runs do in general and then you get these uh all of these really concerned 
Silicon Valley fund uh, funds that are like, we better pull our money out because, you know, we need to, we, we can't have this bank go under. We need to make payroll. We need to, you know, we're burning through $50 million a month or something like that. We better get our money before this bank goes under. And so they pulled out like $42 billion in like just over a day from like Wednesday to Thursday, they pulled out $42 billion And by Friday, this bank was kaput. Um, I think that's a pretty good summary of, of what happened. And uh, the the concern is that all of these other small banks are in a similar position. And that's um that's a real concern because you know they like to they like to blame this on deregulation. I have Bernie Sanders' retarded fucking statement here next to me that we can read through it in a second, but um they always, of course, it's Donald Trump and deregulation. As, as always the standard the standard line from government which just drives me batshit crazy is like you see we had we had the protections in place and you free market capitalists took took those protections away and look what happened epic collapse or it was like we've been trying to get these uh protections in place and you've been preventing it uh from happening and if you would have just let us regulate them more if you would have given us more power over this sector we could have stopped this from happening that's the answer to everything it's always more power for the government every single time and of course they can't point well, to of course go ahead yeah i was gonna say they can't point to anything in particular that actually would have prevented this or that was removed and and even if there was something in particular that like some regulation that got removed by the Trump administration, you've had two years and control of the House and Senate. Why didn't you put it back in? Like if it was so important that it was the only thing that was keeping the market from completely going yeah. belly up, why didn't you put it back in at some point? Well, because they don't want to solve problems. They want problems to happen so that they can have another power grab. And that they can play, they can score political points. That's why nothing ever gets fixed. I mean, they want it to blow up just, you know, to the point where they can blame it on, you know, Orange Man or capitalism or something like that. So they can take control over something else. And the, the funny thing is that we can point to plenty of regulations that caused this problem in the first place. One of which is um, from the uh, the Dodd-Frank bill a legislation that came out of um, – 2008, the 2008 financial crisis, which was like, you know, at the time, one of the biggest pieces of legislation to come out, it was like 200, uh, 2,500 pages long. So uh, I don't know what kind of regulation Donald Trump um, allegedly um, removed from Dodd-Frank that led to this collapse, but they had 2,500 pages to, to, to make it work, you know. But one of the regulations for these banks is they have to hold a certain amount of um, treasury debt on their books as part of like being uh, collateralized. So like they have to, they're, they're like by law, they have to hold a certain number of treasury bonds and treasury bills in their portfolio. And that's part of the problem uh, that these banks are running into. They had to buy these things at really low interest rates. And so uh, once interest rates rise, they're, 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 um, their balance sheet just gets completely flipped on its head. And that's why that's why they can't pay anywhere near what the Fed the Fed funds rate is what is it like four percent now or something? I don't even know where it is. But I, I know for a fact I'm not even getting one percent on my savings account at Chase. 
I mean, they can't even come close to paying these things. And and that's because they're, I think they're all completely fucking insolvent. And they were just kind of holding out until hopefully uh, Jerome Powell caves and reverses course. And I think that's not far off. I, I think we're, we're definitely going to pause now. He's not going to be raising rates anytime soon. And I think eventually he's going to have to re- reverse course because this is, um, this is bad. I mean, all of these, all of these small banks are in really precarious situations and we already have um, a consolidation of banks thanks to the 2008 financial crisis reaction where all of the big banks got bailed out and uh, you know Chase and, and Bank of America acquired some some other banks, uh, Wamu and Wachovia. And uh, so you just have you have more and more concentration into a smaller number of banks. And it's it's just a goddamn disaster. I mean, they're they're always concerned about too big to fail, and they they create the exact situation where banks are just going to get bigger and bigger and more too big to fail. Well, and they're already saying like they came out yesterday morning and said this isn't two thousand eight, and there's not going to be a bailout and all of this stuff. So yeah, it's not two thousand eight. It's going to be like way worse uh because of the situation that's been created like at least 2008 was relatively sequestered to like the housing bubble this is going to be like the economic bubble that they've been building for the last 20 years like the whole this is the yeah. whole thing it's this the everything the, yeah is, it's an everything bubble and it's i mean we have so much more debt now i mean in 2008 the national debt wasn't even 10 trillion you know what I mean? Like we were only at like nine something. We're at 32 now and climbing. I mean, there's just no way that um, they can handle uh, rising interest rates, uh, even just at the federal level. I mean, it's going to eat up the entire federal budget, just paying the the interest on the debt. And I, I mean, so they can't raise interest rates. They're going to have to lower them, which means the dollar is just going to be fucking destroyed i mean we've already seen quite a bit of inflation i'm still shocked dude like i was driving down to uh, milwaukee yesterday and i was like i was starving because i I had to go sign sign a bunch of documents for my closing and everything and it was getting to be lunchtime so i was like ah fuck i was like i'll get some fast food which i never do i like i really never go to fucking fast food places but i stopped at popeyes and i got some chicken tenders it was 14 (laughs) dollars for a chicken tender meal I was like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. $14. I mean, and that's like the cheap shit. Right? I mean, we've seen a hell of a lot of inflation already. And I just don't see a really good way out of this. I mean, the the plan that the, the government has come up with that's, you know, not a bailout, right, is to completely bail out all of these fucking venture capitalists and these tech fucking billionaires with with FDIC money that they claim is going to be paid for through the fees that you know every bank has to pay a fee for the FDIC insurance right but they only have like 125 billion was the last number that i heard that's not going to be nearly enough to deal with this problem not in a million years. I mean, they've allocated $25 billion for this SVB uh, issue and the, the Signature Bank. Um, SVB, they pulled out $42 billion in like a day and a half. That was just one bank. 
I mean, it was a big bank, but yeah, like 125 billion is not going to do it if uh, if things really uh, sort of spiral out of control here. So what they're going to end up having to do is the government is going to have to sell a bunch of bonds to get money to bail out the uh, bail out all these banks. But the problem is that as they as they sell more bonds, that puts downward pressure on bond prices, right? So all of these banks that are either insolvent now or could be insolvent if bond prices keep falling are going to be made insolvent by the uh, by the government bailing out all of the banks because they're going to be selling bonds and that's going to make their balance sheet that much uh, more in the red. So I don't see how they can really get out of this. Every situation just that. turns into a downward spiral that feeds off of itself. They've hit that damned if you do, damned if you don't position where like either we do something, we step in and do something to fix it, which completely fucks you, or we leave it alone and you're completely fucked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like, there is no good, you know, uh, some people complain, you know, like, oh, yeah, these libertarians, like, they don't have any solutions. I was like, there's no solution at this. There's no, like, pain free solution to this problem. You have to, like, we, you have to blow this fucking thing up and we have to, like, get back to sound economics and banking. I mean, you cannot have uh, a central bank with a bunch of, you know, wise overlords determining the price of money. It's never going to work. It's it's just price controls. Well, that's the problem with the the solution to a lot of this stuff is it's been allowed to go for so long with people who don't know what the fuck they're doing, um, like taking either wrong or like actively bad positions on stuff and putting things in place where that it's just compounding the problem. And then they don't ever fix the problem like you talked about earlier. All they do is they find another way to kick the problem further down the road to have to deal with it later. And eventually later is going to come. So that's, you know, the reason that there isn't a solution to a lot of these things is because the only real solution that we're left with is it's got to be blown up. Like, some, you, you know, gotta, sometimes you can't, yeah. you gotta sometimes take you can't fix the house. Right. Sometimes you can't fix the house. You've just got to doze it and start over again. And that's like that's where they put us with a lot of this stuff. And it's yeah. it's because of terrible fiscal policy for I don't know 50 years or more. Yeah. And I get yeah. In this position. I get that that's not a very attractive message. Like we're just like, yep, we're we're fucked. But we've been trying, we've been trying to tell anybody that would listen that this is a horrible idea for the last fucking 20 years. I mean, Ron Paul has been talking about this since 2002, 2003 for 20 fucking years. He was like, don't do this. This is going to be a disaster. And, and here we are. And, you know, everybody wants some sort of tangible solution. Like, well, I, I don't hear a policy that's going to fix. Yeah. The, the policy is get rid of the government intervention. You got to get the government out of the way. I mean, there's nothing more important um, that, you know, to to like uh, people's standard of living than the like a well-functioning economy. And there I mean, you can't have a well-functioning economy with all of this intervention, this politically driven intervention. It's never going to work. I mean, yes, they can uh, taper, you know, paper mache over this thing and make it look like it's a functioning economy for a really long time, apparently. Like we're coming up on 30 years of them just doing this stuff, right? 
And yeah, it all it all works out great until it doesn't. And it's just like one of these bank runs. It's like everything's fine. And then one day it's the end of the world. I, I, yeah. So, yeah, there's no, the the solution is to get the government out of the way, out of the way of everything. And it's not like, yeah, actual deregulation would be the solution to this. Because there's no goddamn way that banks would be caught in this position if we weren't artificially suppressing interest rates. There's just no way. And there, there's no doubt that SVB made some, you know, tactical mistakes as well uh, by, you know, locking in really long. I mean, I'm sure they thought rates could never go up. They probably had that retarded out like the 2000, you know, in 2006, nobody thought housing prices could come down. So, yeah, everyone's just like, oh, yeah, no, it goes up like 10% a year in a normal year. We're looking at 10% increase it's like, forever. OK, nothing goes up forever. And yeah, so they were probably thinking that, yeah, rates are going to stay low for the long, like we have nothing to worry about. And so they just do this. And, you know, if things get really bad, yeah, we'll get bailed out. Now, they, the bank itself didn't get bailed out, but all of the depositors are being made whole. And man, I mean, that's just tremendous moral hazard. And there's there's just not enough, there's not enough productivity and money to bail out all of these, all of these banks. Uh, the Fed is the uh, I, I believe it was the I can't remember what his position is with the Fed. Anyway, the guy said back during back during COVID when everything was closing up and people were really concerned about uh, how they were going to get money and where the money was going to come from and if the banks were going to be in trouble and everything. He said the Fed has infinite money. We can fund everything, all of the money that you need to take out. We got you covered. We just print more of it and you are good. That's the that's our job as the Fed is to make sure that you will always have your money. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is the modern monetary theory in practice. Like these deficits don't matter because we uh, the debt doesn't matter because we owe it to ourselves kind of thing and we can just keep printing it. It's it's the most mind-boggling um, theory that people like educated people can subscribe to that and think that it's I mean, I always say this. If that's the way an economy worked, it would be so fucking easy. There would just be no poverty anywhere because all you have to do is print a bunch of paper and give it to people. I mean, what <laughs> Zimbabwe would be doing fine. I mean, they printed trillions of dollars. Uh, but yeah, no, they're impoverished and it was a complete unmitigated disaster. So it's it's just not that simple. And uh, to pretend- Did you see the thing where the uh, where SVB also had like this, they touted this incredibly diverse like board, not, not saying that, you know, again, it was one of those things like even the article that, that was talking about it said, you know, not saying that if it was 12 white dudes that they wouldn't have made some of the mistakes that the board made, but it seemed like based on some of the decision making of the board and some of the uh, some of the moves that they made, they were more interested in equity and diversity, public appearance inclusion, with diversity and, and all of that shit. stuff than they were in actually like making sound banking decisions. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Wokeness strikes again. Now wokeness is bringing down the fucking banking sector. Awesome. It already ruined Hollywood. It ruined fucking comedy. And now they're going after your money. It, it's beautiful, man. It, like, it's just so ridiculous to watch like to to be able to see this thing coming from like you know a mile away and just watching it kind of happen i mean this seems like it's happening really fast but for me it's been in slow motion 
Like I've been waiting for this. I was like, there's no way that this can't happen. Like it has to, it has to come apart. And here we finally are. And again, it's just like, oh, it's because Donald Trump rolled back. Here, here's Bernie Sanders' explanation. Ironically, we come to the same conclusion, but here we go. Let's be clear. The failure of Silicon Valley Bank is the direct result of an absurd 2018 banking deregulation bill signed by Donald Trump that I strongly opposed. Five years ago, the Republican director of the Congressional Budget Office released a report finding that this legislation would increase the likelihood that a large financial firm with assets between $100 billion and $250 billion would fail. Unfortunately, that is precisely what happened during the debate over the legislation. Again, it, it doesn't point to what the legislation actually did. Um, our memories are so short, we learned nothing from 2008 Wall Street crash. This is him asking that. Have we learned nothing from the savings and loan disaster of the early 1990s or the thievery of Wells Fargo over the last couple of years or the dishonesty of Equifax or the accounting fraud from Enron and Arthur Anderson or the failure of the long-term capital management or the billions of dollars in fines financial institutions have paid out uh, for illegal or deceptive activities? Sadly, the Republican Congress and the Trump administration answered all these questions with a resounding no. Um. Yeah, no, you've learned absolutely nothing, Bernie Sanders, except he gets he somehow he stumbles into the right conclusion. I'll keep going. It's almost over. Now is not the time for U.S. taxpayers to bail out Silicon Valley Bank. If there is a bailout of Silicon Valley, it must be 100 percent financed by Wall Street and large financial institutions. We cannot continue down the road for more of more socialism for the rich and rugged individualism for everybody else. Let us have the courage to stand up to Wall Street, repeal the disastrous 2018 deregulation bill, uh, break up too big to fail banks and address the needs for working families. So, I mean, he's kind of close, like we shouldn't be bailing out these banks. You you have to let them fail. I. I realize that that's a big deal to a lot of people. Like when your bank fails, it's it's a big fucking deal. But you can't just keep bailing them out. Uh, it, it we have made this problem so much worse by bailing them out in two thousand eight. And uh, oh, dude, Bernie Sanders just drives me fucking crazy. Well, and like you said, like for like for you and for me, like this has been. And people, uh, you know, who've been paying attention, this has been a slow motion, like train crash that you you could see the thing happening. You're just wondering, like, how long it was going to take before it actually, like, completely happened. Uh, yeah. You know, like people who don't understand how this stuff work and works and haven't been paying attention, like we've been saying for a long time, like they're creating this bubble. This everything about this economy is is fake. It's all manufactured. It's all created to look like it's this impressive thing. And whenever it finally blows up, it's going to be monumental. Like it's going to be catastrophic. And here we are, like we're on the we're on the tip of that iceberg. Like it's a it's about to blow. And uh, and they've made it. Yeah, they've made it that much bigger. I mean, this the explosion from this is going to be massive because of they've just been pouring gasoline on this fire for you know for all of the 21st century. I mean, it's crazy what they've been doing. And there's Bernie Sanders is like, have we learned nothing from all these other problems in the past? It's like, yeah, no, you learned absolutely nothing. Uh, Bernie Sanders, apparently all he learned was deregulation caused all of this stuff. 
when there's been no i don't think there's any industry that's as heavy regulated as the the financial sector uh, it's not like you know there's thousands of regulations in place as if you know if they just had 1001 regulations everything would be uh hunky dory absolutely not I, I mean, they have created the exact um, situations where um, all of these, all the bad actors that Bernie Sanders was blaming for for a lot of these issues, where they can function um, without without fear of repercussions. I mean, all of these bankers were getting huge bonuses when they were buying back their stock and pumping up their their stock price. Why were they able to do that? Well, they could borrow for fucking nothing. I get borrow it basically zero. I mean, of course, anybody's going to do that. When you take away the fear, greed takes over. It's this constant tug of war of greed and fear. And they take away the fear with all of these implicit and explicit bailouts. And so, yeah, the greed runs amok. Well, and like as far as who's actually running things and making like making these policies the way they are so that it does benefit the banks, like. And your average politician should look to his left, look to his right. All three of you are in the pocket of the banks. Like yeah. The banking industry is the number two uh, lobby in Washington, right behind. So it's pharmaceuticals is one. Banking is number two. And it's there is a pretty significant gap. Like the pharmaceutical lobby is outrageous. But the, the gap between two and three with the banks to I can't remember what the third one is, but like it's it's almost as big. Like the banking industry is a huge lobby. Like they are just dumping money into making sure that this legislation is done is done in a favorable way, so that they can yeah. operate like this and continue to keep these like of keep course. the bubble blowing yeah. up. It's like who do I, I love when they blame deregulation. It's like, well, who do you think writes the regulation? It's the lobbyists for the banks that write it. So if you don't think JP Morgan is writing verbatim exactly what they want in there and paying this lobbyist hundreds of thousands of dollars every month to get that that uh language written into the bill, you're on a you're on a different fucking planet. And I would I would argue that these bank the banks are essentially just nationalized now. I mean, I, I don't see a difference between uh the government, the Federal Reserve and JP Morgan Chase and Bank of America. I mean, they're it's all just one thing now. I mean, it's like it. Like, I'm not saying that they are technically nationalized, but if they were nationalized, they would be operating exactly the same way. <laughs> like, it's like the rail industry, like it's like the rail industry with the rail unions. Like, are they nationalized? Technically, no. But with the way all of that is structured, they may as well be. It's the same yeah. for the banks. Yeah, yeah. It's like a distinction without a difference. They're they're functioning the exact same way they would be if we just had a fucking complete uh, government takeover of the banking system. And just like everything else, the government takes over. It's a com complete unmitigated disaster. I don't even know if if they're doing this deliberately. It wouldn't surprise me. I mean, there is a huge push to go to central bank digital currencies. I think that is probably the the end game that they're looking at here. I mean, that they're, they're fine destroying the dollar as long as they can transition into some sort of digital currency that they can have total control over over the people. I mean, if you don't think that the US government wants to control the American people the way China controls their people, you're 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 fooling yourself.
I mean, why do you think their answer to everything is always like, oh, well, you shouldn't have taken away that power that we had. That's what did it. Or you should have given us this power that we asked for. That's why this happened. It's always, always about more power and control. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if they're just fine blowing this whole – I mean, they know that this – they can't be this stupid, right? I mean, yes, AOC can be this stupid. But you know, some of these people that have been in politics for like 30, 40 years that got like a halfway decent education, they're not all this stupid. They know how this game is played, and they realize that they are in the, the last throes of this thing, so they are raiding the fucking cupboard for anything else that they can get out of it, and then they'll put in place some sort of uh, – or they'll make a huge push for central bank uh, digital currencies. And that, I mean, if, if the American people let that happen, it is the end of the country as you know it. That, it's not even close to a really a free country anymore, but any semblance of that is, is going to be completely destroyed. It basically like the dollar, you know, it's like 98% of the value has been destroyed since 1913 and we got 2% left. That's about as much freedom as we have left too. And if you let them put in place a, a cent, like a digital currency that they can, you know, use a social credit score system and, and control you through all of these uh, nefarious ways, uh, follow everything that you do. Uh, that's, That'll be the last 2% of your freedom gone. Well, like you were saying about, you know, they're not that stupid. The, even if the politicians themselves are all that stupid, they're not the ones who are crafting the legislation. They're not the ones who are writing the bills, and they're not the ones who are actually making these decisions. They're the public faces that go out and present all of it to make it palatable for the general public. Like the people true. behind yeah. the, the people behind the scenes who are actually writing this stuff, making these decisions, the lobbies and the people who are dealing with the lobbyists, like there's it's a big machine and we only see a little bit of it on the surface. Uh, the people who are not seen and heard, they are incredibly smart and they know exactly what they're doing and they're going to yeah. make sure that it it ends up falling in their laps when it all falls. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. And right now they still have a vested interest in the dollar uh, because their whole system is de is designed around that. But once that goes to shit, yeah, then they'll be very easily persuaded to to push for something else that that gives the government everything that they want and gives them everything that they want and fucks over every Joe six pack. Um, and Johnny and Susie do get her uh, in the country, man. It's whew, not looking good. Not looking good. Empty your bank account and buy goats, pigs, <laughs> and cows. Move out to the middle of nowhere and insulate yourself from the coming collapse. You certainly need to figure out uh, what you want to do with your money. I wouldn't have it sitting in cash. Um, that's for sure. And and there's not a lot of there's not a lot of things i mean inflation is a really really bad th i mean it it affects everything and it's really hard to avoid it um but there are certain things even if you don't have like a ton of money you can still you know stock up on things that you know won't go bad that you'll need in the future and things like that but yeah if you can get get invested in something that's going to generate you some some cash flow in the future and that won't lose its value. I would start looking into that because, uh, yeah, sitting in cash is just, they're, they're going to crush you. And, uh, yeah, we're not giving financial advice, by the way. So this has made me reconsider selling the 
the other house just because like might not be might not be a bad idea to have that asset sitting around just in case down the road it's uh you know weird times uh because i know i can rent it for way more than what it way more than what it costs me every month anyway so like i could keep it and rent it out and then then i've yeah. got an asset sitting there that if i needed it at one point in the future or whatever it's you know it's uh interesting times and and it's one of those times that you really need to be talking to an actual financial advisor not us and uh figuring out what you want to do because <laughs> you need to insulate yourself as much as you can from from things getting bad uh because it's not a question of if it's more of a how quickly right how quickly and yeah depending on the government to to come to the rescue is just it's never going to happen it, it just they're, they're only going to save themselves they'll be the ones that come out of this smelling like roses and you will you know maybe you'll get like a 1200 dollars check or something you know it's like after like a year and a half like yeah here's 1200 bucks good luck with that um there's there's nothing they can really do to fix this there's nothing they can do to to save you regardless of what they say uh we're all kind of uh i wouldn't say we're on our own but we're all responsible you know for ourselves and yeah we can we can help each other but man uh yeah build a nice community there get get away from uh from these big uh these big government centers of control it's going to get ugly man and there is a like a trade off you're saying yeah it'd be nice to just get that recurring monthly income but yeah if you sold it you'd have a nice little a nice little you know chunk of change that you could put to work in some other fashion too so there's there's always a trade off there but yeah i would uh it's it's long past time to start planning for uh for this end game and there will be there will be winners and there will be losers and there's there's definitely ways to protect yourself so i would uh if i were you i would start getting on that cuz I, I like we were we were talking i think before we started these bank runs they can just happen and you know for almost no reason it's just human psychology essentially like if nobody went, went to the bank and pulled out their money like everything would be fine uh, in theory right um but nobody's ever going to just sit back and be like yeah that I'm just going to wait. I'm just going to wait this out because everybody else is going to go. And it just sort of feeds on itself. And like with SVB, they sent out an email to, you know, they were sending out all these emails being like, you should pull your money out. And so they did that. And if there wasn't a run on the bank, the fear of the run on the bank causes the run on the bank. And the same thing happened with Signature, I believe you were saying, which is like, yeah, people were just, they saw what happened with SVB. They thought there would be, you know, a contagion spread. And so they ran to the bank and they started pulling their money out. Um, it's It can happen real fast. And uh, you don't want to, you want to be through the exit before, before all these, all these other lemmings that think nothing, you know, the, the financial sector is strong. I mean, we're seeing all of these quotes from like Janet Yellen and, and, uh, uh, Joe Biden and everybody saying that everything's fine. Your deposits are fine. Your money's going to be there. It's it is it is uh subprime is contained all over again. Don't listen to whatever whatever they say. Just assume the opposite is true, and you'll be in a much better position. Well, and, and now there are reports coming out. I just I just had this pop up on my uh, on my ticker that 
uh, California's Governor Newsom failed to disclose personal ties to Silicon Valley Bank while lobbying for a bailout. Imagine that. Shocking. Yeah, that 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 doesn't sound familiar at all, does it? Like everything no. that happened in 2008. <laughs> it's like fucking. Oh, you mean you worked at fucking? Uh, which was it? Uh, I forget which fucking. It was Paulson worked at. Um. Oh yeah. Uh, shit. Well, they all worked at these fucking banks. Uh, Morgan Stanley, I think maybe. Um. Yeah, it's like, oh yeah, you fucking worked there for like ten years, and now, now you're in a position to get them a bailout. Yeah, it's like, man, this revolving door thing is real, and it doesn't matter how many fucking regulations they put in place, they find ways around it, or it doesn't apply to them. And uh, yeah, we all get screwed, and they all get fucking filthy rich. So, um, it's I not- mean, I think it was J.P. Morgan and some of the others were already having. Uh, uh, trading got put on hold this morning because they were up like 50 to 60% because all of this not a bailout created so much of a huge cash inflow into these banks this morning that it ran them up and they had, they had to halt trading on them. And not That's not a bailout. We just yeah, got this they usually halt it the other direction. Yeah, they usually halt it because all these banks are collapsing. But yeah, so I did I did see a lot of that. Yeah, everyone's pulling their money out of these small banks and putting them into JP Morgan, Bank of America, which yeah, I mean that's that's not I I'm not going to say that's like the the be, the like the smartest move, but it is the best move that you can do. I mean, this is the position that they've forced people into because you know that those two are going to be bailed out regardless of what happens. Um, the, the small banks, you you don't, you you know, they're not going to bail out your little community bank. They'll bail out the depositors maybe, but why even take that risk? You know, so they've, yeah, they've, they've forced the consolidation of banks through all of their regulations and their, um, just really misguided ideas of, of of just the FDIC in general, this idea that we're going to guarantee people's deposits. Um, it, it really creates a lot of moral hazard. I mean, nobody does any research uh, for banks where they put their life savings anymore. I mean, you spend more time, uh, you know, buying a car, you'll do more research. Buying a TV, you'll do more research. You'll people know more about computer, the computer that they're buying, than where they're storing their entire life savings. And they don't know how to read a balance sheet. They don't know what these banks are doing. I mean, we don't really know. I, I mean, I, I know what they're doing, but I don't know to the extent that they're doing it. We don't know how bad all these banks' uh, balance sheets are. We just know that they're all, they've all been doing this and they've all been sort of incentivized into these positions that are very, very precarious. Um, so it's going to, we're going to see it shake out over the next, over the next few, probably the rest of this year. I don't know, man. Uh, it's, it's not, it's not looking good. The, the wheels are coming off of this. So anyway, I don't know. And the Fed. <laughs> A little doom and gloom for your Tuesday afternoon. Yeah, it's depressing. And I I mean, I, I know that, you know, people want to hear like what the libertarian solution is. Like there's no real good solution to this other than we have to restore uh, free markets and we, we have to take this pain. There's no pain-free way to, to get out of this. Um. We, we really just got to bite the bullet. Um, and that sucks. 
It really sucks. I, I wish I wish the politicians had listened to us. Um, would have made life a lot easier. <laughs> yeah. Yep, it sure would. But anyway, hopefully uh, all your banks are doing OK. <laughs> I'm about to put a put a big deposit in somewhere. I was thinking Charles Schwab, but there was a fucking run on that. <laughs> I got to. Yeah, I usually use uh, Charles Schwab just because they reimburse me for ATM fees around the world. So and I can also I have a, a brokerage account there so I can um, or an investment account, whatever you want to call it. So I can invest the proceeds and use the the ATM thing. But even even talking to Chuck. A lot of people, uh, their stock got hammered. They they halted trading on that yesterday because there was a there was a big run on that bank as well. So we'll see. We'll see the cleanest shirt in the hamper. I guess find that and uh, hold on for dear life. Anyway, yeah. Let's let's uh, wrap there. We're coming up on an hour, aren't we? Yeah. Good times. Um, I don't know. You got anything to plug? Not really. Just my normal stuff. Uh, I've been I've been putting out a whole lot of content here lately. Just out of dumb, out of dumb luck, I guess. I've had uh, stuff to talk about and people who wanted to talk about stuff. So I've had a ton of shit that I've kind of been doing here and there between Substack, uh, the morning show that I do, doing a, a religious podcast, doing my little daily stuff. It's uh, and then my regular show has. I've had, I've had a, have, I've been having a lot of fun just kind of talking about random different things with different people and uh, putting a bunch, putting a bunch of stuff out. So, cool. about any topic you want to look at, I've probably covered it at some point in the last two weeks. All right, that's good. And um, we'll do, we'll do another Friday live episode. What's the date on Friday? Is that like the seventeenth or something? I believe I that is correct. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so um, I, I do like I haven't been putting out much uh, of anything in the Substack. I just haven't had time. I've got a million things I got to do this week, but after that, hopefully uh, things will settle down and I'll get back into my routine. So until then, follow me on Twitter at Pedal Fiction, and um, if you want to become a supporting listener, is this Friday a uh, happy hour? No. Well, I guess it is. It's our regularly scheduled one because we did a makeup last Friday. All right, we'll do we'll do another Friday happy hour. That's three in a row. Well, a Saturday and then two Fridays. We'll try to get that going. And um, if you guys can do all that for us, we'll be back on Friday live with a brand new episode for you. Until then, you know the drill. Just keep on pedaling that so-called fiction. Peace. <laughs>